Father, many of us, by your grace, can say that's our story, that you intervened on our behalf and sent Jesus to die and rise again. You opened our blind eyes to see him as the only Savior. You worked in our hearts to embrace him by faith. And now we're yours. We know his grace that's greater than all our sin. We know his grace that is with us every day for every need. We're just so thankful this morning to you for all you've done for us and continue to do for us and will do for us in the future. I pray for anyone who's here who doesn't have that story yet, who's still in darkness, still in unbelief, still in religion, still just somewhere not trusting Christ and in your family, that you would do the miracle you've done for many of us and change their hearts. Lord, as we open your word, I pray that you would guide us to understand it well and work in our hearts that we would want to do what um, we see this psalmist doing. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. In the last seven weeks, I've heard about three couples getting engaged and two couples expecting a baby. Now, why would anyone tell me about such things? And it's, it's not rocket science, is it? It's hard to keep good news to ourselves. We want to share it with others. And we see that same impulse in our text for today. The psalmist wants to share a testimony of what the Lord has done for him personally, as well as what God has done for his people. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to Psalm 66 as we wrap up summer psalms for yet another year. Time flies when you're having fun. So Psalm 66. Last Sunday, we saw that the psalm begins with a call to all the peoples of the earth to worship God. You may remember the quote from John Piper, missions exists because worship doesn't. And then we also saw the outcome of that call in verse 4. All the earth will worship you and will sing praises to you. They will sing praises to your name. And the psalm is a reminder to us, if all the earth is called to worship God, that includes us too. We are called to give him the honor due his name. If all the ethnic groups of the world are called to give him glorious praise, then we will want to make his praise glorious as well, whatever our ethnic background might be. This morning we'll see the psalmist blessing God and calling others to bless him because of the what the Lord has done. To bless means to speak well of or speak highly of with heartfelt gratitude. So let's read verses 8 through 12. Bless our God, O peoples, and sound his praise abroad, who keeps us in life and does not allow our feet to slip. For you have tried us, O God. You have refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net 
You laid an oppressive burden upon our loins. You made men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet you brought us out into a place of abundance. D.A. Carson writes this, The psalmist begins by inviting the peoples of the world to listen in on the people of God. So remember the first couple paragraphs were addressed to the world, all the peoples of the world. Sing to God, shout joyfully to God, worship God, glorify God. And now he's still, the first verse in eight is still addressing them, but he's saying, now listen in on the people of God. We have a, a story to share. Listen on to the people of God as they praise him because he preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. Then the psalmist directly addresses God and mentions the context in which the Lord God preserved them. For you, O God, tested us, you refined us, you brought us into the prison, you laid burdens on our backs, you let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. This is stunning. The psalmist thanks God for testing his covenant people for refining them under the pressure of some extraordinarily difficult circumstances and for sustaining them through that experience. So let's look at the Lord's dealings with his people in times of distress. First, the Lord tried us or tested us. And we understand what it means when somebody says, we're going through a real trial right now or it's been a challenging test of our faith. It's the kind of language we see in 1 Peter. If you want to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice, referring to this inheritance we have and God keeping us by his power, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So there's this testing and this trying experience. And closely related to that, God refined us like silver, just as silver and gold is put into a fire to purify it. So God uses trials to purify and refine our faith. The Lord brought us into the net. We were like a bird helplessly caught in a net that we couldn't get out. And not only that, the Lord laid an oppressive or crushing burden on us. It was too heavy to bear. And Paul felt that way in 2 Corinthians 1. Do you remember he says, 2 Corinthians 1, 8, We do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. So just mentioned this verse to somebody recently, and, and it calls into the question the little slogan about God will never give us more than we can handle. Paul says, God did give me more I could handle. It was beyond my strength. It was an excessive burden. It was too heavy to handle. And the Lord made a, men ride over our heads, which is a poetic way of saying People walked all over us. We were treated very badly. And then, a phrase we might recognize from other texts, we went through fire and through water. So 
Isaiah 43. Do not fear. This is verse, end of one and verse two. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. So passing through the waters is imagery of overwhelming circumstances that threaten to undo us. It's like we're trying to cross a deep rushing river and it feels like we might go under. So Psalm 69, just a few psalms after Psalm 66. Psalm 69, save me, O God. Verse 1, for the waters have threatened my life. Literally come to the soul. I have sunk in deep mire and there's no foothold. I have come into deep waters and a flood overflows me. And so the psalmist is saying, we went through water like that. And then fire is language expressing sharp, painful trials. And so in 1 Peter 4, remember Peter says, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you as if some strange things were happening to you. So we've got water, overwhelmness, you've got fire, this painful, sharp trial. So God's people have gone through a lot. But notice the ultimate cause of all these painful trials. Five times it says, you brought us through these things. Did you notice that? Look, look back at Psalm 66. You have tried us. You have refined us. You brought us into the net. You laid an oppressive burden on us. You made men right over our heads. God's doing this. God is doing this. They're recognizing these overwhelming troubles didn't just happen to us. It's not just other people. It's not just life. It's not just bad luck. It's God designing and controlling these trials we have experienced. And the Lord not only ordains that his people experience difficult trials, he gets us through them. We might wonder if we're going to get through a tough situation or a rough season, but he will sustain us in the midst of it and bring us out of it at the right time. Verse 9 says he keeps our soul in life and keeps our feet from slipping. He preserves our soul. He holds on to us so that we're knocked, not knocked off our feet. And then verse 12, we went through fire and through water, yet you brought us out. And not only you brought us out so that the trial was over, which would have been great in itself, but you brought us into a place of abundance. So we didn't just survive the crisis, which sometimes is about all we can hope for. <laughs> can I make it through this? Can I survive? You brought us into a better place. And many of us here could look back over our lives and see how the Lord has brought us through times of affliction and even brought us into a better place. And many are still waiting for the Lord to do that. So here's an encouraging quote from John Flavel, pastor in the 1600s in England. This is for all who are still waiting on the Lord to deliver them out of a distressing trial and bring about a positive outcome. So we 
ask the question, how may a Christian be supported in waiting upon God while providence delays the performance of the mercies for which he has long prayed and waited? That's a great question, isn't it? So he says, it is supposed in this case that providence may linger and delay the performance of those mercies to us that we have long waited and prayed for. And that during that delay, our hearts and hopes may be very low and ready to fail. Now, nothing can be more precise, certain, and punctual than the performance of mercy at the time and season which God has appointed, however long it is or however many obstacles lie in the way of it. The Lord does not compute and reckon his seasons of working by our arithmetic. In other words, that has a different calendar than we do. God appoints the time, and when that appointed time is come, the expected mercies will not fail. But in the meantime, wait for it, for it will not delay. It may tarry, which means delay, much beyond your expectation, but not a moment beyond God's appointment. I just find that helpful. We have a timetable in our head, oh, let this be done in a week or a couple weeks, or we have these deadlines. I don't know how we're going to get past that. And God has a different timetable, a different schedule, different calendar. And there's the fight of faith. Is, is God's timing best? And when it is the best timing, God will come through with those mercies. And then just this week, I had an opportunity to share with a brother um, the quote from Larry Crabb, there's nothing an all-wise, all-powerful God should be doing that he's not doing right now. And again, that takes faith to believe because we think, well, he should be doing X. He should be doing that. He should be opening this door. He should be taking care of that. And there's nothing he should be doing that he's not already doing. He already knows what needs to happen and he has the power to do it. So verses 13 through 15. I shall come into your house with burnt offerings. I shall pay my vows, which my lips uttered and my mouth spoke when I was in distress. I shall offer to you burnt offerings of fat beasts. With the smoke of rams, I shall make offering of bulls with male goats. So in these verses, the psalmist resolves that he will offer the appropriate sacrifices to the Lord for rescuing him out of his distress. He had made a vow that if the Lord would deliver him, he would offer public thanks. He's not bargaining with God as if God was now somehow obligated to help him out because he promised he'd offer a sacrifice. Uh, Romans 11.35 says, Who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? So we never indebt God. God never owes us anything for something we do. He's simply following the pattern that we see in Psalm 50, if you want to turn to that, Psalm 50. Offer to God, this is verse 14, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. So they're parallel sentences. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you and you will honor me. Verse 23, he who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me. To him who orders his way right, I will show my, the salvation of God. So there's a sequence. You're in trouble. You call to God. God answers. You honor him. And these verses are talking about honoring him through a sacrifice 
of thanksgiving, which we see that same response in Hebrews 13, 15 for us as believers in the New Testament. So let's read that one. Hebrews 13, verse 15. Through him, then, referring to Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. So Psalm 50 and Hebrews 13, 15 are both making the point of express thanks to God for his mercies instead of taking them for granted. Don't let them just go unrecognized and unthanked. Make a point of expressing thanks to him. Well, after rehearsing the Lord's faithful dealings with his people and bringing them through bitter trials, the psalmist shares a personal testimony of the Lord's gracious dealings in his life. So back in Psalm 66, verse 16. Come and hear, all who fear God, and I will tell of what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. But certainly God has heard. He has given heed to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, who has not turned away my prayer, nor his loving kindness from me. So the psalmist has a desire to tell others what the Lord has done for his soul. In these verses, he's giving a testimony of how he had cried out to the Lord in his distress and the Lord had answered his prayers. He mentions that the Lord would not have heard him if he had regarded wickedness in his heart. For example, if, if we cherish anger in our hearts, there will be a blockage in our prayers. Or the Apostle Peter reminds husbands in 1 Peter 3, 7, if we consistently fail to treat our wives with the honor due them as fellow heirs of the grace of life, our prayers will be hindered. So there can be issues in our hearts that make prayer more difficult. But the psalmist isn't claiming his prayers deserve to be answered because he was so worthy, but because God is so gracious. So this is Matthew Henry. God has heard me, though being conscious of much amiss in me, that I began to fear my prayers would be rejected. Yet, to my comfort, I found that God was pleased to regard them. Matthew Henry says, from which he might have inferred, therefore I don't regard iniquity in my heart. But instead of taking the comfort for himself, he gives the praise to God. God has heard me, therefore blessed be God. Lest it be thought that he, the deliverance was granted for the sake of some worthiness in his prayer, he ascribes it to God's mercy. It was not my prayer that fetched the deliverance, but his mercy that sent it. So it's not like, my prayer was so good, I just pulled this down as a blessing because I'm really good at praying. It's like, no, God is so merciful. He sent it to me. And then he applies it to us. Therefore, God does not turn away our prayer because he does not turn away his own mercy. For that is the foundation of our hopes and the fountain of our comforts and therefore ought to be the matter of our praises. And maybe we're here this morning, we've been through some kind of crisis and could share a testimony of the Lord's faithfulness in our time of need. Maybe he's brought us through a rocky season in our marriage. 
or answered our prayers for healing in a strained relationship, our prayers for recovery from a serious illness or injury. Lord willing, the O'Hallorans will be sharing with us soon about how the Lord brought them through this two-year crisis they've been through. I'm looking forward to that. It was originally going to be this week, and it um, just needed to be put on for a little later, but that's going to be a, a great morning testimony. But whether we do it publicly in front of the whole church or in a small group or one-on-one over coffee, we want to share what the Lord has done for us so that he will be honored and so that others will be encouraged. God designs our trials not only for our own benefit, but for the benefit of others. The goal is not only that we will bless him, but others will bless him as well. So look at verse 20. Blessed be God. Who is he talking to? It's not like Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. He's not talking to himself. He's right, he's starts off, come and hear all who fear God, blessed be God. So he's saying, I just shared my story, join me in blessing God. I'm blessing him, I want you to bless him for what he's done for my soul. It's similar to what you see in Psalm 34. First few verses. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. So I'm not just doing this privately. I'm not just walking around the block thanking God. The humble are going to hear about it and rejoice too. So he invites them. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. And he shares a story. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant. Their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried. The Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. He said, join me in praising God for that. And the psalmist, when he says, let me tell you what the Lord has done for my soul, reminds me of the story of the demon-possessed man in Mark 5. You remember the story? He said his name was Legion because he was tormented by so many evil spirits. Jesus casts out the demons into a herd of swine. And let's pick up the story in Mark 5, verse 14. So the swine go over this cliff. Verse 14 says, Their herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind. The very man who had been legion. And they became frightened. Those who had seen it, described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And they began to implore him to leave their region. As he, Jesus, was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him, literally be with him. Like, Take me with you, Jesus. I want to go with, I want to be where you are. And Jesus did not let him but he said to him, 
go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. So J.C. Ryle writes this in the 1800s. This is a two-part quote. One, have we anything to tell others? Can we testify to any work of grace in our hearts? Have we experienced any deliverance from the power of the world, the flesh, and the devil? Have we ever tasted the graciousness of Christ? These are indeed serious questions. If we have never yet been born again and made new creatures, we can, of course, have nothing to tell. And so if you're here this morning, if you're not sure you've experienced the saving grace of Christ, first of all, acknowledge, I need to be rescued from my sin and its consequences. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. So all of us are in the same boat. We're all sinners. We're under God's judgment. We all have a penalty to pay for that. And the penalty is separation from God in hell. Second, we turn from sin and turn away from trying to earn God's acceptance by something we could do for him. Titus 3.5 says, He saved us not according to works or deeds of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy. And so we trust in Jesus to do everything necessary to save us. We believe his death on the cross is the only payment God will accept for sin. We believe his resurrection from the dead shows he's able to save forever those who come to God through him. So believe in the Lord Jesus. And then Ryle continues, if we have anything to tell others about Christ, let us resolve to tell it. Let us not be silent if we have found peace and rest in the gospel. Let us speak to our relations and friends and families and neighbors according as we have opportunity and tell them what the Lord has done for our souls. Last week, we got to hear Josh Etherington share about his trip to Taiwan. And do you remember how God used him with his friend David? The Lord opened David's eyes to trust in Christ. That's ultimately how he came to Christ. And later, Josh asked him, why is it that you believed? And remember David's response? It was the testimonies of what you were and what you are now. So God uses testimonies. Your story, my story. This is what I was before I knew Christ. This is how I came to know Christ. This is what's happened and changed in my life since that. We all have, if you're a believer this morning, you have a story. That's why we sang my story. Because that's all of our story. If you're in Christ. He changed me. I was this, now I'm that. We have a story of what the Lord has done for our souls. But it's not about guilt. It's not about pressure. It's that same impulse as those couples telling me about their engagements and their babies. Nobody had to tell them, you should tell people about your engagement. What's wrong with you? 
You should tell people about that baby coming. What kind of parent are you if you don't do that? Nobody thinks that way. We have even better news than getting engaged or having a baby. We have the best news in the world. So we're not talking about guilt and pressure. We're talking about, I've got good news. It's the same impulse as the apostles saying in Acts 4, we cannot stop speaking of what we've seen and heard. You can tell us to be quiet, but we can't. It's the thing Jesus is talking about when he says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I can't contain it. And so if our hearts are still stunned by what the Lord has done for us, first of all, in saving us in the first place, and or in delivering us from some kind of crisis, it will overflow into telling others about it. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we thank you for your story, your birth and life and death and resurrection and ascension and your return someday. Thank you for including us in that story. Many of us belong to you now. We're yours. We're the beneficiaries of your grace. We have a great story to tell other people. And so I pray you give us opportunities. Show us where the opportunities are to share the story of your grace redeeming us with others who don't know you yet. And Lord, if we've been brought through some kind of trial, some kind of crisis, and brought into a better place, Lord, give us opportunities to share that with our brothers and sisters as well, or even unbelievers as well, and point to you, honor you for your faithfulness and your grace in those times of trouble and getting us through. But Lord, we do want to honor you in everything. Uh, you are the one who deserves the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to stand and sing Amazing Grace as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper.